In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to inspire us today to really try to connect the first readings, primarily those of Isaiah, with the Gospel reading, so that we can see what the theme is, or what the connection is, and how the first reading supports or um, enhances the meaning and the purpose of the gospel reading. So give us the strength and the courage today to kind of uh, step out in faith and really try to participate in this exercise so that we all can learn. So we thank you for this time together and we thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Now, who wants to begin? <laughs> okay. Uh huh. And I Well, now, it depends on what cycle you are in. Oh, okay. Well, okay, so so this was, uh, because I had the 24th Sunday, I chose the 24th Sunday. There are no more 24th Sundays on here. So I, I, I know, but you see, there, now, ladies and gentlemen, listen, because this is an important point that many people uh, have missed. Now, this lady says that she has done the exercise, and then when she goes to check with with the bulletin that's in listing, that they don't agree. And that is because in this particular case, she is matching one cycle with another. All right? Uh, there are three cycles in the liturgical calendar or a three, over a three-year period, let's put it that way, all right? The liturgical calendar begins the first Sunday in Advent, which will be in a couple of weeks here, first Sunday in December, um, most often. It will begin cycle A. We are currently finishing cycle C. So it will begin cycle A. A is dominated by uh, Matthew's Gospels. Now, that doesn't mean everyone is going to be Matthew's, but the majority of them will be, okay? And that's probably what you picked there, okay? And then, obviously, cycle B is Mark, and cycle C is um, Luke, which we are finishing up today, or, or with this couple of weeks in the next couple of weeks. I'm sorry. Now, as I've said before, 
it appears that we're ignoring the Gospel of John, right? Not really. Because John's Gospel being so much different than the synoptic Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that it is used primarily during Lent and Easter, and occasionally at other times when there are special uh, reasons or special occasions. All right. So, you have the four gospel writers represented, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in a regular cycle, and John then during Lent and Easter. Does that make sense? So, if you have uh, tried this exercise and then tried to compare it with something else, be sure that you're comparing it with something from the same cycle. So, in other words, what you pulled out with us was basically for Isaiah, because that's what we're studying. Yes. So, in cycle A, there would be a 24th Sunday, but not probably with Isaiah, because that's not what we're into right now. Amen. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. But now, since you are already involved in this, uh, let's uh, let's hear from what you got out of this. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I read uh, the first reading was Isaiah 50, uh, chapter uh, chapter 50, verses 5 through 9. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Second was James 2, 14 through 18. And the gospel was Mark 8, 27 through 35. All right. And the theme that I pulled out of all of those was, it wasn't really easy, by the way. Um, I mean, it wasn't in your face. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I just got that Jesus teaches us to spread his word and show others by our actions and deeds that we believe in him, and he will strengthen us and save us and give us everlasting life with him. Okay. That sounds good. Now, let's see what one of these other references might say. Um, I'm sorry, would you give me that again? Uh, no, the the reference. What, what Sunday? Right. Alright. Now, this is this is what I wrote. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, there's only one explanation. All right. The readings for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time contain many provocative phrases that could be used as a theme for this commentary. I have chosen two. See, right, right away, there are two possibilities. I have chosen two that are arguably the most difficult to follow. One, accepting our circumstances in life, our daily crosses, that is, and self-denial, all in the process of following Jesus Christ. Most people will do almost anything to avoid suffering, and self-denial is contrary to today's culture. But the words of Christ are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, would you read again what you wrote? (laughs) Sorry. 
Jesus teaches us to spread his word and show others by our actions and deeds that we believe in him and he will strengthen us, save us, and give us everlasting life. Nothing like it. All right. Now, let's see how this works out up here. The gospel reading is taken from Mark, uh, verses 8:27 to 35. Jesus is asking a very important question that all of us must answer. Who do you say that I am? And I cringe when I hear lectors read this because they'll always say, oh, who do you say that I am? It should be emphasized, who do you say that I am? Meaning every one of us should be asked that question or we should be asking ourselves that question because it's important that we have an understanding of who Christ is for us. I dare say that if you asked a dozen people that question, you would get some really flimsy answers because most of those dozen people really have not given that any serious thought. And every one of you should be really having an idea, a strong idea, a conviction of who Christ is for you. Okay? Jesus asked the important question that all of us must answer. Who do you say that I am? <clears throat> this question is addressed not only to his apostles and the immediate disciples, but also to us, you and me today. If you can truthfully answer, as Peter does, then we are ahead of the pack. But if we hesitate then, we must make up our minds soon, then all of us must take into account the next statement that Jesus makes. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So you have the whole idea of putting your life in order by connecting it with who Christ is for you. And then sorting out your daily crosses so that they are not the woe is me kind of thing, but something that you carry with your head up high, but offer the problems associated with those crosses to Christ because he offered himself on the cross for you. Does that make sense? Can you see any connection in any of that? What you tell people, I thought that was kind of saying, you know, you need to tell people who I need to spread my word, and, and these things will happen. You know, mm -hmm. things will fall into place. So that's kind of where I went with that direction, but I didn't go deep enough. Well, that's okay, but can you see yeah, do. what you need to do now? Yeah, I do see that. All right? Yeah. But there is, I, I do see some connection. Yeah. Terrific. All right. Who's willing to brave that next?
All right, Karen. Hold on a minute. Second Sunday in Ordinary Time in Cycle A. Okay. And the connection I saw between the two readings was of the personal calling to Isaiah and to John the Baptist, and then um, an indication of the larger calling um, of the nation of Israel, and then of, of all people, Gentiles and Jews, um, to, to Christ, where Isaiah is pointing to Israel and saying, don't come back from uh, exile and do the exact same thing you did before. You know, you have, to, you have to venture new and be a light to all the nations. And John is pointing, don't look at me any longer. Look at Christ, follow him. All people, all nations to follow. So I, I take it as through faith we have to find our own calling and also the larger calling of all people. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that follows very closely into what I just said a minute ago about the previous reading. Uh, again, what Sunday is this? Second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Cycle, cycle A. Second Sunday. All right. Let me take a look here. Second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Cycle A. Says the first reading from the prophet Isaiah. We hear now how the Lord called upon the prophet Isaiah to be his servant in preaching to the people of Israel and Judah toward the end of the 6th century B.C. This is the first... This is, uh, excuse me, Karen, was that... Uh, what was the first reference? Yeah. All right. Right. Yeah. This was a time of sadness and despair after the Babylonian exile ended and the people returned to the area around Jerusalem and found little of what they had left behind. In this message, God promises to make you, to make you, you, the people of Israel, and I think that's what you mentioned, that Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, uh, a light to the nations. This light was and is the Christ child whose birth we have just celebrated. Of course, the second Sunday in ordinary time, is uh, right after the Christmas season. All right. Um, then the gospel uh, there <coughs> is John one twenty nine to thirty four. We hear uh, John the Baptist explaining why he is preaching, and he is being obedient to the one that is God, who sent him to preach and baptized in the way of making straight or clearing a path that leads to Jesus Christ. By doing so, John becomes the first witness to the divinity of Christ. Have you ever thought about being a witness to Christ? It isn't easy, and yet it's most rewarding. So there, again, you're talking about really the idea of sharing, evangelizing with others. Now that's so important at all. So I think you, you made a, a good connection there. Yeah. All right. Yes, Jane? I volunteered you for the, for the next one. <laughs> you volunteered her? Volunteered her? For the next okay, one. Okay, all right. I took uh, Christmas time. 
Christmas Midnight Mass, and virtually the the first a cycle A and B are almost identical, except that perhaps they took another extra verse on on Isaiah. But in Isaiah nine, chapter nine, verses two to four, and on cycle B, it's chapter nine, chapter nine, verses one, basically through the six. six. Mm-hmm. And that reads that the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who lived in the land of gloom, a light has shone. You should have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing. They rejoice you as people rejoice in the harvest, etc. And in the gospel reading, well, first we'll go to the gospel reading. On Luke chapter 2, 1 through 16, it's the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus published a decree ordering the census, etc. And uh, the uh, census took place, and they had to go to their city of their heritage. In this case, it was David's town. In Bethlehem. Well, in the uh, in the uh, first reading, Titus, I mean um, Isaiah, is predicting this coming of a great king, who was David, and because of the Assyrian uh, threatened the takeover of the northern land, mm-hmm. that he predicted there would be a great king, and that king was David. And he foresaw and explained to the people that they were going to be saved by this King David. In the same sense, in the Gospel of Luke, he foresaw, he foresaw or he talks about foreseeing the coming of the Savior, which was Jesus. And Jesus was from the house of David. And was as was the king that was actually uh, predicted or prophesied yes. by Isaiah, right? And the important thing here is that you've got to remember one thing, as we've said before. Isaiah is divided into three parts. Chapters 1 through 39, which we've just finished, and that goes back all the way to the 7th or 8th century B.C., all right? when things were really uh, coming apart, you might say, for both Israel and Judah because of their own sinful nature. But Isaiah is holding out a sense of hope that there will be eventually a king who will bring them together as David did uh, back in the 10th century. And then, of course, in comparing that with uh, the Gospel of Luke, we hear of the coming of Christ, who is the true light to all nations, and the divine king uh, who holds out eternal hope. So hope really is the, the key theme in both of those uh, passages. Does that make sense? What you, you know, you have to remember a few things when you're trying to do this. 
And uh, if you use that other schedule that I gave you as part of your, your first handout, uh, where Old Testament history is divided into four parts, if you can kind of keep that in mind, it helps you uh, to understand where the prophet or who's ever speaking from a given period, uh, where he uh, stands and what's going on at that time, because then it will reflect uh, a totally different attitude or a different uh, perspective, you might say. Now, when we get into uh, our next session, beginning in January, Judaism has been changed a great deal while the people were in Babylon. And we'll go through what that change is and why and how it affected the, not only the people, but how it affected the life of those who followed over a period of time. Okay? And how Judah changed. Okay? That really <coughs> showed up I, when I was comparing the first Sunday of Advent A with the second B. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah in the first is Isaiah chapter 2, 1 to 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's talking about the Lord's house being established on the hill and, mm-hmm. and uh, all authority exercised and so forth. Um, and Isaiah, for the second Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent cycle B, it's Isaiah 63, um, verses 16 and 17. And you can feel, I'm so glad I took the class because it gave me a better. Isaiah began with the prayer, Lord, you're our Father, and then he prays for the restoration of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which is an entirely different feeling than the beginning one. That's right. And yet, um, they do both tie in with the gospel. And there's much talk in both of these about the darkness and the light, which mm-hmm. just seems so appropriate for this time of year. And, Good. Um, it, it made it very. And I did the second reading too, and it was very interesting to see. And these two especially, maybe because it's the beginning of Advent, that's why they're so closely, they're really closely talked. Good, good, terrific. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Yes, D? And the reading from Isaiah 40 was about a voice crying out in the wilderness, referring to St. John coming which is in the gospel. It also talks about um, the power of God and how he's like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs to his bosom, feed his flock, treat everybody with care. Um, The second reading is from Titus, and it talks about um, the kindness and generous love of God, our Savior, coming. And then... The Gospel of reading is from Luke chapter 3, and it talks about um, St. John the Baptist is saying, one mightier than I is coming, and then he baptizes Jesus, and the dove comes down and says, you are my beloved son, mm-hmm. with you I am well pleased, but it's uh, kind of all showing, you know, it's, it's pre- kind of showing St. St. John is a precursor and the care of God for his people. 
Terrific. Right. Now, this is important here. He began with Isaiah chapter 40. 40 begins second Isaiah. And it starts out, comfort my people. Comfort them. And why comfort them? It's because they are returning from Babylon. Right? And when they return, what did they find? They were looking for the great Jerusalem that they had left and the temple that they had uh, used as a symbol of God's presence among them. And that was all gone. And of course, you have to remember that they were in Babylon for 50 years. And so you had a whole new generation or a couple generations uh, grow up in Babylon that have never been to uh, Israel or Judah or Jerusalem. All right. So they didn't know what to expect. And in some cases, if they were like young people today, they could have, couldn't have cared less, you know. Um, and so not every Jew returned from Babylon. And that is why we refer to those that did as the remnant. A remnant usually means sort of a leftover or uh, the tail end of something. And these are the people who finally did come back uh, under the guidance of the prophet Ezekiel. Okay. But here, the gospel reading and the um, first reading from Isaiah is all about the light uh, and the hope and straightening out uh, the path uh, that leads back not only to Jerusalem, but leads back to God. Remember, they were carted off to Babylon because of their sins. And during their 50 years in Babylon, they finally got religion, so to speak, and changed their ways. But then we'll talk about how that was both good and not so good when we get into our next session. As you can see, I'm trying to make it mysterious. <laughs> All right. Who else would like to talk about what they found? Yes, Cora? I found something for a child. For a child. For me. My child mine. It's um, the second Sunday of Advent. Okay. It's on Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 10. And the Gospel, according to Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Okay. In my simple mind, while I was reading this, it says that chapter 11, verse 2 says, A spirit of counsel and of strength. And where does that come in? On verse 6 it says, The wolf shall be a guest of the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And then there is such a thing here as the calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. How on earth, I was asking myself, can this be possible that a cow and a bear and a child and a serpent will play together? Okay. So, I, so I went to Matthew and find out how can this happen? 
how can this visually, as I look at it as a human person, is like not possible. But when you read something like Matthew chapter 3, then he says that, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, on verse 1. What he was trying to say is, there is a powerful being that's going to come down on this earth. And that being will make it possible for all these things that you're asking for in your mind to happen. If I believe in him and I repent, I can see how the child can play with the cobra and how these things that seem impossible can be possible. Yeah, man. Yeah. Very good. Yes, yes. Um, yes, the Isaiah reference here uses a lot of ex- uh, exaggeration in its wording, but the whole idea is it's holding out hope. Remember, these people uh, were so lost in their faith uh, that they abandoned God and they abandoned virtually everything else. And Isaiah is trying to give them hope and the idea is he's using uh, these flowery languages here to let them know that eventually, if they hold out and are faithful to God, that this type of life of true peace between enemies will dissolve and be a reality for them. Okay. So you get uh, the idea of of hope and light here. Most of the readings are around Christmas time. Remember, at the time the Gospels were written, people did not celebrate Christmas as we do today. Okay? Because they hadn't had the time to kind of put this all together. And so they really just thought about the Christ child as God in the person of Jesus uh, coming to earth and why. You know, they still hadn't really thought it out like we do today. So Christmas did not really develop until several centuries later as, as we celebrate it today. Now, anytime you have any questions, uh, let me know and I'll see if, what we can do about answering them uh, along the way. Okay. Anyone else like to share theirs? Yes, June. I'm really off the wall. Oh, you're off the wall. Well, <laughs> the, way I, the way I think of it is if I am in the church and I'm listening to these readings, what is it trying to really tell me? Mm-hmm. Not about what exactly what was going on at that particular time and this, that, and the other, but I come to get something that I need to get what I, you know, something that I really need. So I just went through the 21st Sunday of ordinary time. In what cycle? In cycle C. C, okay. And my, what I got out of it is how do I get salvation? That's what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm saying that proclaiming the teaching of, of what's going on in the, in the, from Isaiah is 
to learn the way to get salvation. The second is Hebrews, how we prepare for it, which includes helping our children, our brothers and sisters to reach the heavenly kingdom, because we're all in this together, so to speak. And we work every day towards our goal of reaching heaven. And Lucas chapter 13 is the road to salvation. We are told that the path of salvation is not easy and we must prepare ourselves for it. Um, and that means by helping the poor, the downtrodden, the sick, and bringing love, the love that Jesus has given us to other people so that we can all help each other get to salvation. That's what I got out of it. All right. Now, let's see what uh, was in the bulletin. I hate to keep saying uh, something about what I wrote, but... Cycle C. All right, just a moment. This is Isaiah 66. Uh, it says, almost everyone has had the experience of entering a sports arena or theater where the entrance was very narrow and someone was there to take your ticket or pass to be certain that you are qualified to enter. Well, that is exactly what Jesus is saying in the gospel reading for this day when he advises us to enter through the narrow gate. He is referring to getting into heaven, and that's salvation, as you just mentioned, uh, the tried and true honest methods that he uh, prescribes rather than trying to enter through some easier or cheaper way. Let us see how the other readings support this concept. In the first reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Now, chapter 66 is almost the very end of third Isaiah, all right? The time that it is written in is around the 5th century B.C., okay? This brief passage is near the end of the writings of Isaiah. The entire chapter is about the end of the world, and how all mankind will be required to give an accounting of himself before entering the eternal promised land. People will uh, be drawn from all nations, lands, cultures, and religions, but only those qualified by his or her acceptance of God through the merits of Jesus Christ will enter. These are frightening words and should give us food for thought and prayer. Going down to the gospel reading, it says, Now we return to the gospel, and I'm sure that you understand the first part of it by now. But the second part is what I would like to address here. In his parable, Jesus is talking about the recently deceased who are waiting to get into heaven and sends many of them away because he doesn't know them, quote-unquote. Um, he doesn't know them even though they claim to have eaten with him and taught in our streets or their streets. Today we would translate that as saying, we were the pillars of the church and we did this and thus and so for you. It is not uncommon to have people who work feverishly doing things for the church but have no relationship with Jesus Christ. 
the God we are supposed to be worshipping in the church. Good things done for the wrong reasons are not accepted by God as worship. So, when you question God about trial or suffering, about a reward for your efforts, try asking, Lord, what are you trying to say to me in this situation? The whole idea of salvation, as June pointed out back there, uh, is the bigger uh, picture, you might say, for all mankind. We are saved when we accept Christ here on earth. Not at some later date. Not on our deathbed necessarily, although that is possible. Uh, but salvation really comes to us through our living out the teachings of Christ and fulfilling what he is asking us uh, in God's plan of salvation. Again, we all have a part to play in that plan. And it's important that we find out what it is and fulfill it. People are often, some people are often, you might say, uh, reluctant to open that door and find out what God is really asking of them because they're always afraid that they won't be able to live up to his expectations or they won't be able to fill it. Well, that is because they're looking at it as if they have to do it all alone. And that's not the case. God will not ask of you for anything that he will not also give you the tools or the ability uh, or the time or whatever it is necessary to fulfill it. And he's right there with you. Uh, do you think I could get through ten weeks of teaching here if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working with me and through me in many cases? particularly when I'm asked questions. And I'm only holding this out in a way to give you a, a first-hand example. I have no way to prepare for questions. And many times throughout my many years of teaching, I've been asked questions that I've never really ever thought about. And yet, instantly, God will give me an answer. I remember one time, uh, this this really shook me in a way. We were talking about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has in it a whole chapter on the book of life. The book of life really uh, is also mentioned in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. The book of life is really those people who have accepted God and have completed uh, their particular plan in God's uh, overall plan of salvation. And it talks about their name being written in this book. And some woman raises her hand and she says, how do you get your name written in that book? Oh, God, I've never thought about that. Lord, help me. You know, right out of my mouth, it's, I answered, you get your name in that book when you accept 
Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then follow him. You see the connection? If you really accept Christ and follow what he is asking of you, your name is already written in that book. Well, that night I went home and I thought, ooh, where did that come from? You know? But I know the Spirit is with me and he will be with you anytime you are asking for help in following or fulfilling some aspect of God's plan for you. You needn't fear doing something alone. That's so important that you get that across. That personal connection with Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. That uh, have to take a drink. That personal connection with Christ, and then the willingness to open up your mind and your heart to whatever it is he's asking of you. Now, he will not ask for something that is totally wild and different from your normal pattern of life. It might change what your normal pattern of life is, but it will be so slow uh, and softly that you won't realize it until you look back. But the idea of following Christ is what really gives people a sense of belonging and a sense of quality life. You know, you might have problems and it doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. No, you're going to have life's problems. But it's almost like Somebody is there helping you to carry it or helping you to get over them. I have, I've had my share of problems in life, but each time I am confronted with a serious problem and I go through it or resolve it or do something to take care of it, I feel that I have come closer to Christ, closer to God through Christ than I was before. So that the problem really is something that you almost, it's not something that you go out and look for. That would be a little, I think, morbid. Uh, But it is something that you have no fear of facing and getting through because you know that Christ is waiting for you on the other side. Let's go on. Any un- anyone else have uh, the, ner- uh, the, uh, <laughs> the desire to, uh, to uh, give us their findings, their research? Oh, come, come. Yeah, yes. Okay, I did the third Sunday of Advent on Cycle A. And I find the message of patience 
through the readings. Um, and it's tied in with all of them, all three of them. Like the deaf will hear and the blind will see and the mute will speak. Uh-huh. Um, and this is promised in salvation. Okay. That sounds like uh, the same uh, readings uh, of the past, of the, one of the previous. Yeah, similar. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. So you found a theme, and that theme is is patience. Uh, that's something I really lack. Uh, what cycle is that again? What cycle? A. All right. Third Sunday of Advent. All right. Third Sunday of Advent, cycle A. Uh, the reading is uh, from Isaiah 35. Okay. It says, the readings for the third Sunday in Advent refer to the eventual triumph of God over evil of all kinds. Our role in all of this is to do our part and then to be patient and wait for the Lord God to come and act on our behalf. Patience, right? This is, um, this as we all know is difficult to do. How often have you said or thought or heard someone else say, where was God when we needed him? In this or that situation, when life seems hopeless, we yearn for God to intervene. But we must also remember that all things work together for those who wait and trust in the Lord which is from Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. In the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, the prophet is describing the joy that will come over the people of Israel who have been patient and didn't give up hope while waiting for deliverance from captivity in Babylon. In the same way, the faithful who are waiting for deliverance from this life on earth in order to enter heaven and we shall enter singing, crowning, crowned with everlasting joy. In the gospel, we hear the familiar story of John the Baptist, who is often considered as the last of the Old Testament prophets, who was in prison at the time. He must have been very discouraged knowing that this, that his end was near. He sends friends to Jesus to learn if he, Jesus, is the one who is to come, quote-unquote. The one who is to come is a common way of addressing the Messiah um, at that time. The word Messiah was not uh, frequently used. This is another phrase meaning Messiah. Jesus, rather than answering with a subjective or abstract yes, points out the things that have that he has accomplished. The blind recover their sight, cripples walk, deaf hear, etc. This must have encouraged John the Baptist 
because it was for just this very reason that he had worked so hard uh, in preaching a baptism of repentance. And now we can rest in peace, but listen to the last sentence. Should I'm sorry. Now he can rest in peace, but listen to the last sentence. It should cause one to sit up and take notice. For Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he that is John the Baptist. So how can that be? Advent is a time of soul searching and preparing, of waiting and hoping. That's patience in itself. But we should not let this be the only time that we think about the coming of the Lord. Each time we approach the altar to receive the Blessed Eucharist, we are approaching Jesus Christ. A prayer beforehand to prepare our mind and our heart is very much in order, and then when we do receive him, we will be greater than John the Baptist, who never had the opportunity to receive the body and the blood of Christ. Something to think about in your prayer time this week. In this particular gospel passage, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, who uh, he says really took the place or fulfilled the prophecy of the prophet Elijah. It was always legend, not prophecy, but legend in Jewish history and Jewish culture that Elijah, who was taken up uh, alive into heaven in a fiery chariot and so forth, would have to return to earth and die before he could go to heaven. Okay? That, of course, was, as I said, legend, not prophecy. But nevertheless, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and says in a way that John the Baptist sort of fulfilled that particular uh, legend or uh, form of prophecy uh, by coming and uh, preparing the way of the Lord. Um, The uh, quotation from Isaiah goes on to say that uh, preparing the way of the Lord makes straight uh, every path and fill every hole uh, and valley, etc. What it's really saying in a way Uh, spiritually speaking, is that we should be preparing uh, the path that leads to Christ by removing every obstacle because it is Christ who comes for us and to us rather than we going to him. And for him to come to us, we have to uh, remove all of those obstacles that prevent Christ from entering our heart and soul and mind. Um, Then Jesus goes on in the gospel to say that uh, who did you think that John the Baptist was? And they give various opinions and so forth. Uh, And Jesus says that no man was greater than John the Baptist. And yet the person that is born 
again to eternal life is greater than John the Baptist, which seems to be a contradiction in a way. And what he's talking about really here is John the Baptist never had an opportunity to receive the body and blood of Christ and worship Christ in that particular way. And we do. So we have that opportunity uh, as a way of helping us get closer to God through Christ and closer to heaven and our salvation. Anyone else want to venture? Uh, yes, Percy. Hold on a minute. Just let me. Yes. I uh, went through some of the um, liturgies that they had here for the Sundays of Advent. Uh-huh. I started off looking at the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, then I put it aside and looked at the second Sunday of Advent. I felt like I was getting pretty much the same message. Uh-huh. And the message of hope seemed to uh, come through with uh, read Isaiah, Romans, or Matthew. And uh, as I read it, I kept saying, well, hope, uh, the second coming of Christ, for example, and the second Sunday of Advent, uh, we can all hope every day for something that's going to come up in the future. But as I read it more and more, I saw a message of repentance also. And when I saw that message, I said, well, I guess there's something you need to be doing. You need to get involved and uh, perhaps uh, live the life like Christ would expect you to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have to um, live for God and not necessarily for yourself. Uh and that'll be a sign of true repentance. And how do you demonstrate that is by every day, not just uh, waiting for a future time to get involved, but start right now and uh, live each day in accordance with the way he wants you to. And a true demonstration would be to go through with the baptism and also commune with the Christian community. Amen. Very good. All of uh, the readings for Advent are usually around, centered around hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because, as I said, Christmas wasn't celebrated in the early church days as we celebrate it today. The idea of hope was very, very important then uh, because it signaled uh, the completion of many of the prophecies of the Old Testament uh, surrounding a new leader that will lead them into the new promised land, which is heaven. Yeah. Very good. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, I did, uh, and once I did was uh, cycle A, Isaiah, or the first Sunday of Advent. Uh-huh. And in Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, um, it's a prediction by Isaiah of peace and unity in the, ho- in the house of God, or Jacob, the God of Jacob. And then um, the gospel, Jesus warns us to be prepared for the next coming, for we know not the hour or day the Lord will come. And in Romans, 
um, 13, 11 through 14, Paul is telling uh, the Romans that um, they need to be prepared for the end of time by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, no orgies or drunkenness, promiscuity or licentiousness. And it kind of made me aware that um, as Paul is trying to, to set up all these churches that they're asking him for advice well, when, you know, when they say they have to be like Christ and they're probably asking him, well, how do we be like Christ? And I think he's trying to give them general guidelines as far as where to start. And um, it just made me kind of aware of how that was the infancy of the church and how he was trying to help them set up their, their ways and things mm-hmm. and try to follow mm-hmm. God's law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cycle C is really preparedness, uh, particularly for Advent. Yeah. Another thing I, I realized about Jesus, too, is when he... He talks. Um, there is no gray area with him. He he's not namby pamby, and he doesn't give you like little kind of oh maybe you should try this to start off with. He just tells you this is how it has to be, and you don't really get any uh, soft soap. You know you have to it's, it's the hard rules of, of uh, the Lord, and he, he really doesn't cut us any flat, but he tells us what he expects. Good. You know, that's a very important point. Uh, she, she says there is no um, wishy-washy way of doing it. Uh, he tells us as it is and what he expects. And that's a very important point. Uh, and it's something that I want to bring out, uh, particularly in next week, which is our last meeting. Uh, next week, we're going to be do something a little different again. Uh, as your homework assignment will tell you, I would like you to sort of review the 39 chapters that we've read in Isaiah. Uh, you don't have to read every word again, but go through it and pick out things that you have learned uh, that we should all be doing and knowing. I want to put them into some form of a listing up on the board here. One word or uh, phrase, brief phrases. Okay, And then kind of develop some kind of uh, a thought pattern from all of these. Because... Uh, as this lady just said, Christ tells us as it is. And there's no ifs, ands, and buts. Okay. We have to make up our mind who Christ is for us and who God is for us. Remember, Christ is the face of God, the representative of God himself here on earth because Christ is God. Um, And when we read scripture for the purpose of studying it, which is different than reading it for devotional purposes or just reading it out of curiosity, or as some people do, they'll open the book and they want to get a message and they go down the list, you know, blinded somewhat and then stop at a given point and that's supposed to give them a message. Well, you know, there's a little story about that. 
the person that is anxious for an answer to a given question, and he goes, well, Lord, I need an answer. So I'm going to go down the page, and he's reading, and it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself on the tree. <laughs> oh no, that, that can't be for me. I've got to go. He goes down again and he says, and go out and do likewise. <laughs> no, you, you can't, you can't do that. No. Uh, scripture should be read to get you connected to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's important that you really kind of understand that and look for that. Because that's what life is all about. Not how much scripture you know or chapter and verses. You know I generally don't quote chapter and verse because I don't think that's important. If you taught scripture as long as I have, you gradually learn that. But it's not that important that you know what chapter and verse uh, is meaningful to you. Eventually, it'll come to you and you'll get it. But don't worry about that. It's the message that's important and something that you should really look for. And that is what I'm trying to do here in this session today, is to get you to see how the readings for the Sunday Mass do have a theme, do have a connection. And that doesn't mean that everyone is going to get the same connection. We've seen here a variety. There's been two or three people have read or use the same reference that we've talked about today, but slightly different message. And that's fine. That's all that counts, is that you see that there is a connection and it is meaningful to you. But you have to look for it, all right? You can't just stand there or sit there in the the church while the readings are going on and, you know, kind of think about them all and the, what, what i got to fix for dinner this afternoon, you know, et cetera. Or, oh, look at so-and-so over there, you know, I haven't seen her for ages. Yeah, she looks pretty good. We've got a different hairstyle. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, use that time to listen to what the readings are. Unfortunately, we don't always have the greatest readers, but that's, you know, beside the point. God bless them for getting up there and doing it. Uh, but there is a message intended for you, and that is what you really have to do, is to kind of pay attention and try to connect all three or four of the readings, including the psalm. The psalm is really intended to support the first reading in most cases. doesn't always do that, or sometimes it's a little difficult to see the connection, but it's there. And usually the first reading supports or some way connects to the gospel. 
The second reading, and everybody has a little bit of difficulty with sort of lining up the second reading with any of the others, and it's generally a contrasting point of view. There will be a connection, but it's all not so uh, in your face. It is a contrasting point of view. So try to find out what that is. But it's not as important as trying to connect the first reading from generally the Old Testament and the Gospel. Okay. Again, next week, I want to do sort of an open uh, discussion of what we have learned here primarily. I hope you've learned something. Uh, and then open it to almost any question that you have uh, about your faith, about the church, about society in general, and where it's going. In addition, I'm going to give you a little booklet. It's called Absolute Relativism. Isn't that a nice word? It is not something that you're going to have to read here in class. You're going to be able to take it home. It is yours. It is not real easy to read, at least in the beginning, because it has a lot of, as I say, $5 words uh, right up front. These are quotations from uh, the writings of uh, various popes. But as you get into it and accustomed to some of these $5 words, uh, it becomes much easier. It's talking about where society stands today. All right, and what we should do about it. So, it's uh, it's an important little book. It's not very long. Uh, it has got the approval of several major dignitaries of the church, and therefore uh, is certainly acceptable. What I'd like to have you do is read it over the Christmas holidays. And then we will discuss it in our session beginning in January. Okay. So, you have to come here next week to get it. Okay. Any questions? Yes, Cora? Um, before attending this session, with you five years, you said, we've learned so much. And I sit down at church and I hear the first reading, second reading, and gospel. I was so ignorant. I never connected the first and the gospel. And do you think that the priest could mention the sort of the connection between the first reading and the gospel when he says his homily? Just, just to be that, like, all you listening there that you don't know what I'm reading, listening, especially, oh, I'm done with the first reading. Well, they can. The question is, will they? Even even in these books here, there's one for each cycle. 
are preparing for Sunday worship. All right. They do not connect readings. They'll take one point out of each of the readings and expound on that. For example, I'm just, I just opened this up at random. Seventh Sunday of Easter, uh, cycle A. And it has a point up here. Glorify your son. Well, that may be one of the points in here. But it doesn't help you connect all of the readings. And you're missing out if you don't try that. It's not always easy. Even I've had times, last night I had to write a new commentary for uh, the Sunday after next. Uh, for some reason or other, it hadn't gotten written, uh, written or it was lost in, in the maze uh, of bureaucracy here. Anyways, I had to rewrite it. And again, my computer is the method by which the Holy Spirit gets his message to me. I'll sit down at the computer and I'll say, Lord, help me. Because it's not always easy, I admit that. But there is a connection. And so, once I start out and get going, it just kind of flows out. just flows out of me. And within an hour, I had the whole thing written. Um, and I don't know if you follow them from the bulletin, but it's uh, something that I've been doing now for, uh, I think, eight years. Uh, and sometimes they have to be tweaked or buried for whatever reason. We've shifted back and forth for a couple times now from uh, the current Sunday uh, to the following Sunday, that kind of thing, and back again. Uh, so you have to redo some of the wording to fit, or if some of the words refer to a specific event which no longer is important, then that has to be revised. So, uh, Gene? Uh, they are for several weeks. I don't know how far back they go. Yeah. I don't know how far back they go. But there are uh, more than six years uh, there, so you have two complete cycles. Yeah, I know. They are the same, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Any other questions? That's the church's website. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the church's website is on the uh, front page of the bulletin. So if you want to connect uh, with that, it's important that you do because it has other important information in there as well. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. So I look forward to seeing you next week. It's going to be an open session of questions. Uh, I'm going to be asking you and questions that you can ask me. Hopefully, uh, I'll give you the right answer. Okay.
If there are no other questions, let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for this time together to understand and to share our different uh, ideas and concepts and understandings of how the first reading of the Sunday Mass uh, connects, supports, or uplifts the Gospel readings. So give us the strength and the courage and the help to explore further, even on a daily basis, although that doesn't always uh, work out, but particularly on Sunday. Help us to really listen to the readings to make it more meaningful to us, to, so that we can enter into the spirit of true worship of God through you, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name.